0: Uh, good morning guys. Um, I want you to imagine that this country's been at war. We've been at war and um, we have epically lost. Okay, We have completely lost to some aggressors. And um, these aggressors now take over every part of our society, be it education, be it legal, be it our health, be it our defence. They take over every part of our country. So you and I now are second-class citizens in our own country, I want you to imagine just what that would feel like you 're going to absolutely loathe these aggressors you 're going to be desperate to see the back of them. Your pride in your country and yourself are going to be severely diminished. But there's a hope. The hope is that there's these ancient prophecies that there will be a deliverer, there will be an anointed one, a messiah. And then this chosen one comes. Can you imagine the expectancy about that? And prophecies start getting fulfilled. People start following this person. Crazy healings, incredible teaching. And people start hanging on every word this person says. And they start flicking back through the old prophecies. And they read things like, His government and peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice for all eternity. But then questions start. Why doesn't he start, set up his kingdom? Why doesn't he boot out these aggressors? And then this anointed one says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Can you imagine the disappointment? The concern, the confusion. This isn't the Messiah I was looking for, some people might say. He doesn't do things how I would like him to be done. They might even say, he doesn't even do things right, i.e. not how I want. Things aren't lining up. And I think that's possibly how the disciples felt when they heard Jesus say these words. Bearing in mind the Romans have taken over and they are desperate to see the back of them. And in the same way that the disciples might have felt confused, disappointed, betrayed, sometimes I can feel something when I turn on the news and see what's happening in the world. Missiles going over Japan from North Korea. What happened in Las Vegas last week? Huge areas of India with water over them, flooding, huge flooding at the moment. The marginalisation of Christianity in our country at the moment the growth of militant atheism, the brokenness in Bath, in Western, and let's be honest, in our homes and in our hearts. We can experience that. And we wonder about this kingdom of God 2,000 years on. And we can feel despondent. If you ever feel that, I'll be honest, I do sometimes, these two parables are for you because they are massively encouraging. So I better start off with what the kingdom of God is. So I looked at a theologian, and this is what he said. You ready for it? We can view it as the rule of an eternal, sovereign God over all the universe. I tried to simplify it. The rule of God and the exercise of his authority. And there's a paradox here. Because it's partly here, and it's partly to come. Think about the Lord's Prayer, what we say. We say, your kingdom on earth, as in heaven... It's partly here, partly to come. Because God is the rightful owner of all things. But not all things can be considered the kingdom of God. And while everyone's accountable to God, not everyone's in the kingdom of God. Because people in the kingdom of God have surrendered to God and found peace through Jesus. So there's a the kingdom of God and there's a the kingdom of Satan. But here's the great news. People being freed from the kingdom of Satan and moving to the kingdom of God. So the mustard seed's tiny. It's absolutely tiny. It's smaller than a grain of sand. Okay, It's really teeny. And when you plant it, you can get a tree up to 15 feet high, apparently. So the message is actually quite simple. From small beginnings can come large endings. A tree that can grow, that can sustain life around it and provide protection to people who seek solace there. So you get small beginnings, you can get powerful growth, and you can get at the end the beneficial results. And the parable of the mustard seed describes the growth of the kingdom of God in the world. Think how it starts. It starts an itinerant carpenter preacher speaking in some backwater of the Roman Empire. It's estimated that at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, 500 followers 500 followers within one generation it has spread throughout Europe it has reached Ethiopia, it has reached India and it gets here not too soon after that and it has continued to grow just like Jesus said it would we shouldn't be surprised by that up to 2 billion people today profess a faith in Jesus and here's the key no force can stop the kingdom of God growing Wars won't. Apathy won't. And persecution certainly doesn't. The new atheists won't. Satan won't. And it will continue to grow whether you and I are on board or not. Because with Christ, the victory is assured. It is guaranteed. You see, there's only ever been one true victory. Because empires come and go. So I started doing a bit of history searching on the internet, let's hope it's right. But we've got the Assyrians who were really tough. The Assyrians were really tough, but the Babylonians saw them off. And nobody thought the Babylonian Empire would ever end. It's now just a few kind of crummy bits in the desert. But no one thought that would end, the Babylonian Empire. But they lost to the Persians, who then got wiped out by the Greeks, who were then crushed by the Romans. And since then we had the Vikings... We've had the Spanish, we've had the British, we've got the Americans today, maybe China tomorrow. They come and they go, these empires. And there is one massive exception. AD 30, Jesus on the cross, give or take a couple of years. And he took on the worst the enemy could throw at him. And in a completely one-sided battle, he won. Christ, the winner. Jesus didn't just make us right with God as absolutely phenomenal as that is. He took on Satan. He took on sin. He took on death. We do not need to fear those. And He conquered them. Let's not underplay that victory. Because we live in a world where the rule of Jesus is not yet seen as it will be one day. We need to proclaim that the victory is won. God's kingdom is growing and one day he will return to earth and it will roll across like a river justice we will see one day how things truly are no one hears Japanese are they that sounds really racist comment I don't know I can rephrase that anyone speak Japanese can I make such a hash of pronouncing this person's name right here we go lieutenant Hairu Onada just run with it I bet it was absolutely nothing like that this was this guy who fought in the Philippines during the Second World War. And when the war finished, he refused to accept it was over. So he's out in the Philippines and he's doing these kind of crazy guerrilla missions, okay, um, attacking people. He does this for 29 years, okay. It's crazy, but it's a bit sad, really. He did it until 1974. He was living under a completely false perspective. He was pledging allegiance to a power that had lost... So in the end, the only way they could stop it was they had to get his, his commander from Japan to go over to Philippines. His name, try not to laugh now, is Noru Suzuki. <laughs> Did he go by motorbike? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so he travels over, Mr. Suzuki, travels over from Japan over to Philippines and he finds the guy out in the jungle. It's says 1974. He finds him. He goes, what are you doing? It's over. The war's finished. You don't need to live like this. And Onada was able to bring his life and behaviour in line with the truth. Andrew Wilson writes The proclamation of the truth that the war is over, the enemy is defeated, and that all people can now live in the good of the victory of Jesus is what evangelism is all about. If people choose to, they can share in the victory of Christ over sin, over Satan over death don't you think it's crazy God's chosen us to share the kingdom it's not how I do things his ways aren't ours but here's a question are we playing our part in that, it's a challenging question are we playing our part because mustard seeds are small but they are not insignificant do you know sometimes your faith may seem really small to you You may feel your Christian ministry, whatever that is, is insignificant. You might think your fruit is quite small. And we can therefore start to get discouraged. And when we get discouraged, we stop playing our part. I'll tell you one way it happens. One is we start thinking we're not skilled enough, or we're not at some special level where we can do it yet. Read the Bible. Have you read the people God uses in the Bible? It is like a loser's library. I mean, Noah, a drunk. Abraham, too old. Jacob, a pathological liar. I'm sure he was. Just out they came. Gideon, bit of a wimp at the beginning. Rahab, a prostitute. Naomi, a widow. Martha, worried about everything and anything. I can sympathise with that and the Samaritan woman she had a very complicated family life didn't she we can start thinking we've got to get to some certain level before we start doing stuff it's quite a personal thing this is. but from, from 1999 to 2004 and I'm not having a go at you if you're at the back of a church but for those five years I sat at the back of a church I would come in just as the service started and I would leave just as it finished and I did that for five years at the back I wasted those years of my life not stepping up because I wanted to get everything sorted in my life I thought I was going to get to a certain level and then I could do it don't do that don't try and get it all sorted first because you'll never do anything God can use you today wherever you're at today let me tell you another one sometimes we get discouraged because other people discourage us we start thinking oh like the mood hoovers it's not like the glass is half full it's not half empty the glass has been broken and someone's standing in it you, know, you feel so discouraged God doesn't want us to be like that look at the Israelites wandering around in the desert grumbling that's not what God wants I once said to Simon Flint how do you cope with that and he said classic Simon Flint he said I'll just pray for them <laughs> but actually do it it is incredibly liberating and never forget our aim is not to please others. Our aim is to please God. Let's never forget that. And then thirdly, we can start to get discouraged, because what we start to do is we start to believe the words of the enemy. We start thinking that God is only interested in the big, big things. Listen to this beautiful verse. it's Zechariah 4:10. It's the NLTK. Do not despise these small beginnings. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I'm going to read it again. Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Hang in there. We're called to be faithful. Doesn't mean successful. I've asked three people to the sorts of this afternoon. I am fairly confident confident none of them are coming, <laughs> but I have asked. <laughs> are you and I faithful? Remember, your work to further God's kingdom is unique and it is indescribably precious to God. We have a primary responsibility to further the kingdom because you and I will meet people and have chances and opportunities to share Jesus who no one else will. So the first parable, the parable the must seed, the growth of the kingdom of God. A lot of people think the second parable, which is about the yeast, is about how the kingdom of God can be um, in the soul of each believer. How we can grow more and more Christ-like. Again, small beginnings, large endings. Beneficial results at the end. If we allow the Holy Spirit, he can transform us. And we'll get those lovely fruit of love and joy and peace Long suffering and gentleness and all that stuff, which actually, if we're honest, we really, really want. But we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do that. God takes us as we are, but He doesn't want us to stay as we are. He hasn't finished with us yet. I'm not sure why. When I was a teenager and I was brought up in church circles, personal holiness, what it was then called, sanctification, was, um, Well, it was a big, hot thing. And it seems to have dropped off the agenda, which is a real shame, I think. It's a real shame. Ephesians 4 says, we need to let go of the old things. Take on new habits and change, with God's help, the way we think. Romans 12.2 says, don't copy the behaviour and customs of the world. But let God transform you. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, here's the reason why, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. As Christians, we are not enslaved to sin. But there has to be some personal effort on our behalf. John Ortberg uses the word training, not trying. About eight years ago, I rocked up to a Bristol half marathon. I had done no training at all, had I been. I had done absolutely no, now Ben's always irritating people in, I will carry on that sentence, where he's, <laughs> he's, he's the same age as me, give or take a month. And um, but the thing is, he's just naturally very athletic. I am very unnaturally athletic. So we rocked up, I had done no training at all. And off we went, and oh boy was I trying. I am gonna try to do these 30 miles. After about four miles, I'm um, I was going to share this. You might not. If you, yeah, please. I wanted to be violently sick. Okay, about four miles. After about ten miles, I started to feel really morbid thoughts about how death would be a release. I can't. It was just horrendous. Ben's springing away like ticker the whole way around. But anyway, um, it doesn't matter how much I tried, <laughs> I wasn't going to be very successful. I needed to train, didn't I? Beforehand, I should have, in some of the evenings, gone out, done a little bit of running, bit more, bit more, and had a got around. Don't we do that sometimes about Christian life? We go, I'm going to try, I'm going to try. <laughs> we need to train. We need to train. If we, wanna, if we want a life where we see God's kingdom expanding, where we love God and others wholeheartedly, it's going to take a bit of effort on our behalf. It's not just going to happen. Immerse yourself in the Bible. Pray. i tell you a great one. Spend time with people further down the road than you. Listen to their wisdom. It is mass. I can't recommend that enough. Actively get involved. Spend time just being with Jesus. And over time, we'll become disciplined people who do the right thing at the right time in the right spirit. And remember, it's not for our glory. It's for Jesus's. It's not about us. I'm going to start wrapping it up. We've been, we've been chosen to be God's ambassadors. It is a massive responsibility, but it is also a massive honour. It's our job, every one of us, to show the people of Weston or Bath or wherever your front line is, what God's like. Not just by what we say, but by what we do. Society has rightly had enough of church hypocrisy. So we aim to show compassion and grace and love and mercy and justice in every sphere of our lives with God's help and to form meaningful relationships with the people who are not yet in the kingdom of God. Krish Kandihara writes, The message of the whole Bible is to love our neighbours into God's kingdom, not exclude them for their imperfections. And when we mess up, and we will, we say sorry to God and our neighbour, and we pick ourselves up, and we dust ourselves down, and we go faithfully on. And we look to extend the kingdom of God wherever we are able. When it's school drop off, how can I further God's kingdom? When we're sat on a pew, when our children are spectacularly kicking off normally in a very public area as the model Christian family stroll by (laughs) how can I extend the kingdom of God when we're at Tesco when we're in the awkward work meeting when we're on holiday how can I further the kingdom of God and it doesn't always mean opening a bible and chucking a few verses it might just be smiling and forming a relationship when God feels far away when we're sat in a pub when we're hauled in to see the boss how can I further the kingdom when we're on public transport when we're interacting with someone we're not too sure about if we're honest when we're not feeling the love when we don't really feel like it how can I further God's kingdom maybe you're struggling with hidden sins or you're not seeing a personal growth in your life which you would like. Maybe you're feeling like this massive weight of responsibility about it. Lift your head high and focus on Jesus. He absolutely adores you. He delights in you. Reflect on him being the victor. The only true winner in history. He has conquered. Let Jesus speak encouragement, and faith to you today. Don't quit. Don't judge your efforts or Jesus' power on what you can see today. Allow Christ to transform you. Make it your priority. And then go out and preach your good news however you have been called. Revelation five five says, Stop weeping. Look, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne has won the victory.